In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Well, next Sunday, next Sunday, the church will celebrate what is called Christ the King Sunday. And this feast is filled with all kinds of important imagery. First, it is our declaration that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord and our King, a divine and benevolent monarch unlike the world unlike any the world has ever known in its earthly kingdoms who will rule and reign with perfect justice and perfect righteousness providing an eternal place of peace and joy for all who accept his rightful authority over everything that he has made well Christ the king sunday also signifies a second thing It reminds us that a great and glorious day is coming when Jesus himself will bring to an end all of the earthly injustices and all of the the human tragedies that we have so long endured and caused when we allowed sin to inhabit our hearts. And thirdly, and we can neither ignore nor overlook this, Christ the King is a warning. It's a warning to anyone and everyone who now lives as an enemy of or in opposition to the cross of Christ Jesus. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to return to the Lord. Now is the time to let go of pride and to lay bare before the Lord those things we have done that have offended God and have brought guilt and shame and destruction upon ourselves and upon others. For as our creed and the Scriptures instruct us, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And the Scripture says that the nations will gather before Him And he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the unrighteous will enter into eternal punishment. And the righteous will enter into eternal life with him. And these things which will happen at the end of the age, they compel us to look at where we are now to take stock of ourselves, to take an inventory of our lives, to do the good and, yes, sometimes difficult work of introspection. In other words, to ask ourselves, are we ready? Am I ready? Readiness, of course, is a very natural endeavor. Think of the athlete or the artist who spends countless hours preparing for the performance. Consider the young child who will spend the better part of 20 years or even more in preparation for his or her profession. Is there anything more natural to the human condition than preparing ourselves for what lies ahead? How much more then in our spiritual lives? 
Where the things we believe now in this life and the ways we behave, yes, on this earth, are charting our course for eternity even now. So as we consider our lives in the light of eternity, let us now bring all of these thoughts into today's gospel, where Jesus offers us another in a series of parables as he's preparing us for the reality of his return. And in this parable that we're told today, the relative state of our readiness for his return seems to boil down to one main idea. What do we believe about the Father? God the Father, that is. So let's begin with the Father. In today's parable, God the Father is imagined for us as a man who is going on a journey. This man calls his servants to himself, and this is what he does. He entrusts to them his property. Moreover, we are told, to one he gives five talents, to another he gives two talents, and to a third he gives one talent. Now from these things alone, we can already see this, that the Father is good. And the Father is giving. The Father is good. And the Father is giving. But wait, as they say, there's more. To further illumine the character of the Father, let's talk about what a talent is. In the time of the New Testament, one talent represented the equivalent of about 20 years worth of wages. So what do we now know about the Father? We know that the Father is good. We know that the Father is giving, and now we see that the Father is generous. Not only has he given 20 years worth of wages to one servant, but to another, if I've got my math right and I am a theologian, to another he's given 40 years worth of wages, and to a third he's given a full 100 years worth of wages. Where are my accountants? Did I get that right? Okay, thank you. Even so, there's still more. As the Father has given to his servants supervision of his land, without immediate oversight, by the way, because he's going away on a journey, now we also see that the Father is trusting. He trusts his servants to take care of his land. He trusts his servants to put the talents he has given them to good use. And finally... By all of these things and through all of these things, we learn one more very important fact about the Father. We learn that the Father is loving. God the Father is loving. He is trusting. He is giving. He is generous. And He is good. In light of this, now let's look at the first two servants. When the Master returns... The one who was given five talents has made five talents more. And the one who was given two talents has made two talents more. In other words, these two servants did what is right and good with what they were given. And in doing what is right and good with what they were given, they were rewarded. Hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. But now, let's go a little bit deeper. How did these first two servants know? How did they know to do well with what they were given? The answer, the parable suggests, is because they knew the Father. They knew the Father was good and giving and generous and trusting and loving. And because they knew the Father, they did what is right and good, and the Father rewarded them abundantly. But how do we know that this is correct? Jesus shows us that this is correct because he contrasts it with a third servant. The third servant, as we recall, was given one talent. Remember, that's 20 years worth of wages, enough to live on and enough to invest. Yet rather than investing his talent like the other two, this servant dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now I ask you, in what world does that seem wise? The parable actually answers that question for us. Only in a world of fear, as the parable tells us, only in a mindset that fears the Father because it neither knows the Father nor understands Him. For when the master comes calling, the servant says to him, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and scattering seed where there was no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master says this in reply, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And the parable concludes. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me make one more interesting observation. One thing we don't know is what the servants already had before the master entrusted to them his talents. In other words, could it be that the servant who was given one talent already had a lot and so the master gave the other two servants more talents to make up for their lack? We don't know. But here's why I make that kind of observation. I make that observation because the point of the parable is not to question the master's decision to give what he wills. For then we might very well make the same mistake of the servant who was given one talent. For if we look at the master, that is to say the father, God the father in this way, as one who seems to give arbitrarily or inequitably, then we ourselves might very well believe the Father to be a hard man who reaps where he does not sow and gathers where he scatters no seed. My point is this, friends. It is a grave and terrible mistake for us to look at the lives of others or examine the gifts that were given to the servants in the parable 
and decide that the Father must love others more than he loves us because they seem to have more. Why do some have five? Why do others have two? Why do I only seem to have gotten one? A life lived this way will only lead to bitterness and resentment and ultimately hardness of heart. Where? Toward God the Father. Rather, the purpose of the parable is this. It is for each of us to look into our own hearts, to see what the Father has given us, and to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? Are we using what the Father has given to us to make ourselves and others ready to meet Him? That's the point. And whatever else the Father has given us, the most important thing He's given us is His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, let me say this plainly because there are so many in our world who misperceive and misunderstand God the Father. How has God the Father made Himself known to us through Jesus Christ his Son, our Lord. How then do we see the Father rightly? Through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. What did Jesus Himself say? I and the Father are what? One. I and the Father are one. The way we know how to look at the Father and understand the Father and relate to the Father is through the Son. So finally, let's look at Jesus. This Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost, this Jesus who healed the sick, cast out demons and raised the dead, this Jesus who ministered to the marginalized and the outcast, the woman at the well who had five husbands, a blind man named Bartimaeus who was left on the side of the road by society to beg, another woman who was caught in adultery whom the Pharisees were preparing to stone to death, he healed them all of them, and he made them whole. And then this is what he did. He gave his life unto death on a cross. And he took it up again on the third day that all who believe in him and all who receive him might find, guess what, freedom from their fears Forgiveness of their sins and life beyond the grave where we will be raised to newness of life with imperishable bodies and a joy that knows no end. So I ask you, I ask you in light of this, what do we have left to fear? Honestly, really, truly, in light of these things, what is it that we have left to fear? For in the end, this is the true talent that God the Father has given to us and entrusted to us to receive for ourselves and to share with others Jesus Christ and the good news, the announcement that Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and death and that all who come to him will be saved by him. Now, like you, I cannot imagine Anyone who wants to suffer the fires of hell for eternity. It's an unfathomable thought. 
I can't imagine anyone who wants to be cast in outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the final question, what do we do and how do we prepare now for the eternity that is to come? First, by receiving this gospel, this good news for ourselves, to take Jesus at his word and to trust him. To believe for ourselves that God is good and giving and generous and loving and trusting. And then when we do, to share this same good news with others. That all who are lost in outer darkness right now because they misunderstand the Father might see him in a new light and know him in a new way. The way that he has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And in the end, that they and we might therefore hold in our hearts the hope of one day hearing these words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, and receive this promise, enter into the joy of the master, for this is the desire of God our Father who is good who is giving, who is generous, who is trusting, and who is loving. 